Ninja. Hi everyone and welcome to Geography Ninja. And this time we're going to be talking about migration. Why is migration such a big deal? Um, really what we're, what we're looking at with this one is the, the links between migration and identity. So um, we, I'm going to start off back in um, 2016. Uh, London Mayor Sadiq Khan uh, did a tour of the USA, actually in support of presidential candidate Hillary Clinton at the time, um, commenting on immigration policy in the US. Uh, what he said was people shouldn't have to drop their cultures and traditions when they arrive in our cities and countries. And he also made the point that he believes in integration rather than assimilation. So what we're going to try and do in this podcast is, is just break down some of the, the jargon that we sometimes come across with uh, reference to migration and look at a few different examples of how this has maybe worked. So some historical examples, some current examples, and look at some of the um, the differing, the very diverse views that are out there relating to migration at present. So firstly then, what did Sadiq Khan mean? What's, what is this the difference between terms like assimilation and integration? Well, when we start off thinking about assimilation, this is really, we, we could talk about it as the, the process by which uh, migrants to a country um, sort of take on the, the, the uh, cultural norms and values of the, the dominant culture, the, the, the host society, the place that they're moving to. Um, and a really good example of that would be someone like the USA. The USA has got a very good, um, historically, it's been very good at assimilating migrants. Clearly the US, it's really it's the last 400 years or so, has been completely based on migration. Um, one definition I came across um, is assimilation. It's the state of being assimilated. Uh, people of different backgrounds come to see themselves as part of a larger family. Um, and if you think about the um, the USA uh, over the last few hundred years, it has been seen as a melting pot, uh, a melting pot for for people from all over the world. But so particularly Europe, you know, in the in the eighteenth, uh, nineteenth centuries, early twentieth centuries, more recently from uh, you know much wider variety of countries and and continents. Um, <clears throat> but it's the idea that with assimilation immigrants to a country they they sort of adapt they adapt their their way of life to that of the majority in the country and maybe they've got like a shared way of life so we think about the idea of a, a, the american way of life um it's been pretty attractive generally for migrants over quite a long time period it still is very attractive you know the us is always up there as top country for migrants to want to get to and move to. And the idea that with assimilation, you're leaving your old life behind, you're leaving your old culture behind, and you're, you're taking on uh, the culture of the place that you're moving into. Okay, well, what about the other term, the integration? That's what the other term that Sadiq Khan used. Well, integration is more about just trying to fit in to um, a community without stripping back all of those layers of identity that migrants 
might have. And there's a really interesting um, article from University of Cardiff. This is from the Centre for the Study of Islam in the UK. And it go, it says that assimilation is rather like the process of making soup, where the ingredients lose their identity as they're blended together. Integration can be likened to a fruit salad, where the individual fruits, with their varying colours and sizes, contribute to the beauty of the dish. Wow, how about that? And if you take the example of a country such as Canada, um, Canada's got a very multicultural policy towards uh, migrants um and and particularly so in in the big cities places like toronto and so on so you know my, immigrants are, are definitely encouraged to uh to keep their identity their cultural heritage bring it in to make canadian society um even richer uh because of that now um integration and assimilation think about this um, example. So <clears throat> back in the, uh, about 10 years ago, I think it was, the um, migrants who were looking at the Netherlands as a destination country were told they had to watch a film. Um, and this the idea was to test their readiness to participate in the liberal Dutch culture. Now, two of the things uh, in the film, well, one of them was actually some images of topless sunbathing um, in the Netherlands. The other was a um, a photo of two gay men uh, kissing in the film. So, <clears throat> you know, you might want to think, well, what's the rights? What? Why did they do this? What was was the approach? You know, so on the one hand, saying that actually, if you come to the Netherlands, you you know a way of integrating is just accepting that this is who we are. This is what Dutch culture might be like. You know, don't be surprised if you see uh, scenes like this, you know, on an everyday basis around the Netherlands. So on one level, you could look at it like that. But on another level, you know, is it was it trying to put off certain migrants by saying, you know, well, if you don't like it, don't don't come here. So this is, you know, another way of maybe looking at that situation. Geography Ninja. All right. So we're sort of back to that original point brought up by Sadiq Khan. Um, you know, is it should it be integration rather than assim assimilation? Um, the the Dutch example that we just had a think about is that is that targeting a certain group of migrants, how difficult is it for a migrant in terms of their identity? Um, how different does a country have to be? The sort of cultural side of things, the, the norms and values of a culture, should it be as close as possible to that of where the migrant's point of origin is? Or does does it really matter? So is is assimilation or integration better. So we're, we're really focusing on how this might affect migrants. Now, um, <clears throat> geographers use a, a different models usually to, to try and make sense of what's going on in the real world. And one of them that we use is called Lee's migration model, Lee's model, sometimes called the uh, intervening obstacles model. And this was developed in the um, 1960s. Um, it was 
it was put together to really try and explain the 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 thought process, the the different factors. Uh, sometimes they're called push and pull factors. You know, what are the things that are pushing migrants away from their um, country of origin? What are the factors that are pulling them towards the uh, their destination? And then what gets in their way? What's in between? those uh, point A and point B. Uh, what are the intervening obstacles? Are they physical barriers like mountains or oceans? Or are they uh, human barriers such as um, you know, the need for the correct documentation, um, the, the, the costs of moving from one place to another, and so on. So it's a really useful model to use. And usually what, what geographers do is on the... Uh, the origin side of things, we would think think about listing all of those type of factors. What are the, the the negative things that are pushing people away from their point of origin? You know, is it things like conflict or human rights abuses or you know political freedom, a uh, lack of, or you know, and and but also what are the the positives that are actually going to make it really difficult to leave that place? So it might be the fact that the, the, there, are, the there are family members there that. You, you don't want to leave. Um, thinking about the the, the destination, um, again, there are going to be positives and negatives there. So the positives, presumably, are going to be uh, factors such as increased um, wages, maybe better standard of living, better medical care, and so on. But there are also going to be negatives there as well, which might include um, things relating to um, problems of, of fitting in, blending in to a new society, um, being able to communicate effectively, you know, can you speak the language fluently in in a new in new place. Now, <clears throat> so thinking about this identity of, of migrants and uh, how that might work, it's a really interesting article that was written back in 2005 by um, two authors, Bugra and Becker, in uh, World Psychiatry. Um, and this is actually, it was titled Migration, Cultural Bereavement and Cultural Identity. And this was really focusing on, on like the mental illness, the propensity for mental illness um, for migrants, particularly uh, in the the country of destination, so let, let alone what might have happened to them in their country of origin in order to leave that place, push them away from that place, but on arriving at the de destination, got this, uh, this uh, idea of culture shock um, coming in, you know, just getting used to a new culture. Cultural bereavement, in other words, you're leaving behind things that you've maybe known and you've been familiar with for your whole life and that you feel that's that's now gone, that's a part of your past identity uh, and that's that's seen as bereavement. And then we've got this idea of a discrepancy between what a migrant's expectation of their, uh, you know, the place that they've moved to might be and what they're, they're actually able to achieve in reality. Um, the idea that the streets are paved with gold, well, actually, you get there and they're not, you know, actually, you, you've got to get to grips with that reality. And also the other side of it is just the level of acceptance. Are you, are you accepted as a newcomer? to that uh, society that you move to. Okay, so I think there's maybe two terms here we need to, to talk about. The geographers often, uh, well, more recently, I suppose, we have started talking about these things, but we've, we've often left them to, I don't know, sociology or 
anthropology or psychology, maybe, I, I don't know. But um, terms like culture and identity, uh, really important when we're, we're looking at this, you know, we, we are focusing on what is the big deal about migration. And, you know, identity is, is clearly there. You know, we're focusing, first of all, on for, for the migrants themselves we're, we're going to come on to thinking about the the sort of host countries the uh, the destination countries how, how that might fit with with those populations as well but um <clears throat> just going back to the work done by uh, bugra and and becker um they they say that culture is the is learned and passed through generations and includes the beliefs and value system of a society so you know, for a migrant to leave to leave somewhere and to move somewhere new, um, it is a big deal. If you think, well, you know, assimilation is really suggesting that they they leave that they leave some of that behind. They leave a lot of that behind, and they take on the new uh, values of the place that they've they've moved to. That might be very different um, from what they've been been used to. The other term is identity and that is in the same article that is described as it says the totality of one's perception of self or how we as individuals view ourselves as unique from others and um you know identity is one of those words that that's um <clears throat> certainly in my teaching of geography has come up a lot in in recent years um particularly we we're thinking about um you know, ethnic diversity, or um, may, maybe the whole sort of sovereignty, uh, nationalism, thinking about national identity. Um, so it's it's quite an important thing. So what I wanted to do for the, this uh, the last part of this podcast is really think about how um, within destination countries there are really very polarised viewpoints surrounding migration, and we'll just have a look at some of those. So we can start off in the UK and um, back in 2014, February, uh, in the Daily Express, one of the UK's tabloid newspapers, um, <clears throat> they published a report that suggested that 70% of the UK population wanted immigration cut or stopped completely. Uh, they said that 65% were worried about immigration levels, 42% said immigration is bad for the economy and um, two in five said that immigrants do not contribute positively to the British way of life. And what has been um, quite high on the agenda, certainly in education uh, establishments in the UK for the last five or six years, is the the teaching of British values, um, what, whatever they, they might be. Um, so there has been certainly some uh, some attempt to establish what a British identity might be, um, at least a, a debate around that. I find it quite interesting to have a debate, um, provided it's not it, it's it's got to be it's got to be a two way process. Uh, it can't just be be you know tell people what their identity is. Um, <clears throat> so, but it's it's sort of suggesting there is a, there's a way of doing things that everyone must conform to is is really I suppose where where that seems to be coming from or where that's that's heading to. 
Um, across other parts of Europe, um, in Denmark, we've got the Danish People's Party in the 2015 Danish general election. This was the second biggest party. And one of their um, uh, manifesto pledges was they wanted to, they, they were calling for cuts uh, to immigration, specifically from Muslim countries. Um, now, you know, it, other parts of Europe as well have seen a bit of a rise in far-right nationalism with very anti-immigrant um, stands that they're taking. So you've got the, the Front National in France, uh, the Golden Dawn um, in Greece, um, amongst others. Um, in the UK, um, we've got the, the UKIP, uh, or the UK Independence Party. Now, this was originally specifically to um, push for the UK's exit from the European Union. So very influential um, in encouraging the uh, EU referendum and the uh, subsequent leave vote. But um, <clears throat> more recently, uh, their uh, leader, Ger Gerard Batten, described Islam as a, a death cult and then appointed an anti-Muslim activist uh, goes by the name of Toby, Tommy Robinson as an advisor. And there the does tend to be um, quite a, um, a virulent strain of sort of anti-Muslim anti, anti -Muslim thinking um, within that. We look at, um, across the Atlantic, we look to the USA and Donald Trump. Um, this is early in his presidency. He called for a complete, uh, a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until our country's representatives can figure out what the hell is going on. That's quite interesting. So what this um, relates to is the restrictions on travel for uh, people going to the US from uh, Muslim-majority countries. This is the, the what's known as the, the travel ban, or sometimes the, the, you know, the Muslim travel ban. It was enacted in 2017 by the Trump administration and it was particularly uh, linked to worries, concerns about potential um, terrorist threats. Now, um, <clears throat> apparently this is already affected uh, somewhere in the region of 135 million people in seven countries. Um, what has recently happened, the start of 2020, is that um, an additional six countries has been added to the list, including countries like um, Nigeria uh, and Sudan and Tanzania, Eritrea and so on. So there's additional countries that have been added to that. And I suppose really what we need to ask is how does this affect people's attitudes to immigration? So already, you know, views very polarised in somewhere like uh, the USA so looking at some research carried out back in 2015, and this is by the, um, the Pew Research Centre, and this was looking at what they call the, the wide partisan divide in overall views of immigrants' impacts on the US. So increasingly, we, we hear talk of, you know, politically in the USA, there's, there's a growing gap and divide between Republican and Democrat um, opinion. So this is where survey respondents were asked about um, what, which comes closer to your view about immigrants today? 
Um, 63% of Republicans suggested that immigrants were burdening the country by taking jobs, housing and healthcare, um, as opposed to 27% who thought that immigrants strengthened the country. Um, on the Democrat side of things, it was it was virtually the opposite way around. So 32% thought that immigrants burdened the country. 62% believed that they strengthened the country through hard work and talents. And so we might be thinking, well, how does this play out in the UK? And um, I've been looking at a survey that was carried out in 2018. And this um, was called the National Con- Conversation on Immigration. And it was run jointly by Hope not hate and British future and apparently this has been the largest ever public uh, engagement consultation on migration virtually 20,000 people taking part um, in 60,000 cities across the UK so it's pretty big Um, now the interesting thing with this uh, the the main findings were that um, most people aren't so polarised and they have a mixture of opinions towards immigration. Um, They also found that people say more sort of outrageous things when they're online rather than um, face to face. So that that in itself is quite interesting because, you know, it does make us think, well, when we think about migration, um, and identity, particularly, is does it say you know what does that say about the the host country, the place that the migrants are move, moving to? Because that all, is also really heavily um, linked into questions of identity. Yes, yes, I see, I see. And in uh, an article in the Independent newspaper in September twenty twenty eighteen, this is written by Rosie Carter, who's one of the authors of the report um what she suggested was that it says quite a lot about british or english identity um <clears throat> so she mentions the the idea that you know lots of stories about um loss of culture you know, cultural change within the uk have been really hyped up in in much of the media um, and she says that a lot of these resonate with um, a wide, a broader worldview in which something has been unfairly been taken away. A sense that British or English identity is waning becomes more pronounced. Um, and she also says that places which are geographically isolated or have poor transport links may become less outward looking with their residents less exposed to people from different backgrounds. Now, uh, one book I have um, recommended previously, and certainly alongside the whole migration uh, issue for the UK, I would carry on recommending, is Rule Britannia, um, which is uh, Brexit and the End of Empire. And this is by Danny Dawling and Sally Tomlinson, I think published in um, early 2019. Um, And... You know, one of the things that is in this book is really that, you know, is Britain or actually England, to be more specific, going through some sort of identity crisis? You know, what is English identity? What is British identity? Um, because with with Brexit and, and really, you know, is this all linked to the unfolding, a long decline, really, of Britain's position, global position um 
And what does this now mean? You know, how if you're if you're uh, British or English, how does that how does that make you feel about um, migration? Does it make you feel more defensive? You feel like you need to protect your uh, way of life, your culture, and does immigration pose pose a threat to that? And interestingly, one of the things um, in the book that is referred to is uh, concerns about what are titled in inverted commas alien immigrants. Um, this is going back to right at the very beginning of the 20th century, so particularly Jewish immigration into the UK at that time from um, Eastern Europe, predominantly, um, and suggesting, well, there's a, there's a Daily Express cartoon, actually, from 1901 uh, with John Bull, um, this this uh, called a portly freeborn Englishman who feared that his way of life would be tainted by the arrival of others. And um, the, the character is shown in front of a door, locking the door, and it says, Notice, um, destitute alien immigrants will please keep out. And John Bull is there saying, I think it's about time I closed it. So we might be asking, you know, how prevalent are similar views really uh, in still in existence in the UK and other places potentially about how we, you know, what um, people in a host country might think about uh, immigrants. Um, one of the other uh, um, publications that, that's discussed in, in the book, uh, Royal Britannia, is, dates back to 1893 actually. It's a magazine called The Truth uh, this is in, in uh, Britain, describing immigrants and foreigners as, in inverted commas, deceitful, uh, effeminate, irreligious, immoral, unclean and unwholesome. Any one Englishman is a match for any seven of them, close inverted commas. So these sorts of um, attitudes, really, towards immigrants, uh, right up to to very recent time, and so just to give you a few examples of this, um, and for some reason this is, this is the Daily Express again, uh, UK tabloid newspaper. So um, apparently the, there's, there's been something like 179 anti-immigration splashes or headlines in the, uh, the Daily Express, but also Daily Mail. I'll just give you, give you some of them. This is from the Daily Express. So we've got things like migrant workers flooding Britain. Britain's 40% surge in ethnic numbers, um, EU migrant to get British pensions, um, workers are being fired for being British, uh, migrants rob young Britons of jobs. So uh, no shortage of um, this type of headline. And, you know, it's really what we could might think of as creating quite an unwelcoming environment for migrants, maybe personified back in July of 2013, by Operation Vacan in the UK, and this is where when Theresa May was Home Secretary, and we had billboard vans driving around London, uh, which had the message on them in the UK illegally, go home or face arrest, and really have the 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 overall message of this um, is a really just puts a very negative attitude uh, on the identity of migrants really and it was um it was reported bishop patrick lynch um who was responsible for migration in the bishops conference of england and wales um did say that it gives the message out that all migrants and foreigners are unwelcome in the uk 
that's a difficult one, isn't it? You know, to, um, that's um, makes it very, very awkward if you are if you are a migrant. One other book. I'm going to finish off now, but one one other book that deals with this whole uh, issue really well. I've got to say is is called The Good Immigrant. Um, now this I think dates from 2016. It's edited by Nikesh uh, Shukla. Um, it's got 21 different essays really in there. Um, 21 different writers, it says, explore what it means to be black, Asian and minority ethnic in Britain today. And really on the on the back cover, you've got this, this tagline. This sold it to me, actually. It says, uh, what's it like to live in a country that doesn't trust you and doesn't want you unless you win an Olympic gold medal or a national baking competition? Now, this is clearly making reference to uh, Mo Farah, uh, multiple Olympic gold medal winner in the 2012 Olympics for Great Britain and also Nadia Hussain who won the uh, Great British Bake Off in 2015. But the whole idea in the, this book, The Good Immigrant, is really, you know, to be a good immigrant you've got to be someone who, who blends in seamlessly um, as, you know, as, as normal, in inverted commas, as possible um, that... that assimilates to uh, to British culture um, doesn't really look that different either so it, it does throw up a whole load of questions really about identity in in terms of um, Britain you know Brit- British identity and what that means and you know how easy is it for a migrant to to fit in there now you know just thinking about some of the points that we've talked about in this podcast um, assimilation Integration, you know, you might be thinking, well, what is is one better than the other? Actually, is is assimilation? Does it it sort of deny migrants part of their identity? Um, where you know where are we going with with British identity in all of this? Because it has been very big on the agenda, certainly in the in the um, Brexit de- debates and uh, arguments that have raged really for the last three years or. But more than that, really, across the UK. Um, Danny Dawling and Sally Tomlinson in their book think that it, there's some racial superiority, you know, think thoughts of superiority on part of um, the British, really as, as a legacy, as a hang-up left over from having an empire, and how this has really influenced British identity and views on migration. So anyway, I think we're going to finish off there. There's, there's so many things we could could delve into looking at these um, these issues, but uh, I think that's enough for one session. So I'm going to say goodbye. Uh, I'll speak to you again very soon. Geography Ninja signing out. Bye bye.